Hello, this is Super Urbanism. My name is Tim Abrahams. Last week, I went down to Somerset to interview Neil Hobhouse, the man behind the collection Drawing Matter. Thanks to all the new followers who joined us as a result of that. This week, we're continuing our look into how we value, use and think about architectural drawings. Ken Shuttleworth has his own practice, Make, which designs some of the sleekest and stylish new buildings in the city of London and many other places too. But he's also a great champion of drawing. His practice is now a sponsor of the Architectural Drawing Prize, the world's largest such prize, which is hosted every year at Sir John Soane's Museum in London before it travels the world as part of the World Architecture Festival. This is not an empty gesture either. Nicknamed Ken the Pen at university, Ken draws wonderfully. So I wanted to talk to him about the prize and about how his drawing has changed over the years. Now this is talking about drawings on a podcast. So there are a few pictures on our Instagram account, machine underscore books. Sadly, one of the ones that isn't there is the one I start talking about first. It's about the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, which Ken worked on when he was Norman Foster's right-hand man at Foster & Partners working on this project. It's a building that fascinates me. It speaks to an incredibly important moment in the evolution of architectural drawing, and Ken gave me some amazing insight into it. When I was working with Norman on the Hong Kong Bank, this is 79. That's a detail from the Hong Kong Bank, is it? Yeah, and there's a plan again, which is the same thing. These are drawings pulling information together from various contractors. So this is the cladding contractor, this is the steelwork contractor, this is the internal petitioning contractor, and actually putting it all together and actually working out where everything goes. Now, this is pre-digital, isn't it? Yeah, no computers. But it's an interesting chicken and egg story, isn't it? Because the level of complexity the level of layering that's going into a structure of that kind, the type of drawing you're doing there is already lending itself to a kind of digital... This is all done on bits of paper, with armies of draftsmen. We drew the whole lot, and we drew it plan, section, elevations, perspectives with our computers, and it was all drawn. We actually drew the whole thing from top to bottom. Whereas nowadays you'd have a 3D model of the whole building in full size in the computer and then you'd have everybody inputting into that and then you'd be trying to coordinate all of that in the 3D space. One of the reasons why a computer is taken on by architecture is the iteration process. Going through the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, how many times did you have to redo the same things that you were taking in information? Yeah, it's always overlays and you used to redraw things or you'd scratch bits out with a razor blade on the tracing paper. <laughs> <laughs> also another technique. Or you'd overlay and start again. That layering and allows you to, as you draw, understand it and do more, and do more thinking as you're going through it. You know, you're always checking whether everything fits. And the great thing about drawing like this, when the guys come in with this drawing, you know it's going to fit if they've got the dimension right. I think it, it's really interesting to think about the way the computers have developed. You know, we had 150 draftsmen on this project, whereas now the same sort of scale project, we probably have 10 architects. So the difference is enormous. That's a fascinating idea of mass drawing. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably engineering projects in the US in the 1950s that may have had similar kind of levels, but I mean, you're really pushing at the levels not of graphic representation, but actually human management. How are you managing 150 people drawing? So the thing is you have to do is like the polymers, you have to break it down into bits. You break it down packages and you draw in the structure and you, with the structure you then draw the cladding and you, you work on it as layers so that 
the most important things that the early things get the most attention as you go on mainly the mechanical electrical has to fit around it and it's still the same today to be absolutely honest you know they just do it quicker in a computer and we have things like clash detection in computers now which we obviously didn't have here if there's a pipe going through a beam here you'd have to work that out yourself whereas on a computer flash detection it just flags it up as being a problem exactly. so things like it's really developed computer drawing was developed for the North Sea oil industry we do we weren't using it in architecture for a long time after the North Sea guys were building all these platforms which are very complicated with lots of yeah. pipe work um, so the development of computer aided design was, used to be called it was done for the North Sea platforms it's very interesting you're describing the process of breaking the constituent elements of the Hong Kong Shanghai bank down into exoskeleton structure, facade. Do you think that the drawing process creates the architecture in that way? I think before computers, there was very few buildings that were actually curved. I mean, there were some. I worked on Willis Faber in Ipswich when I first joined Foster's, and that was all curvy. And that had a computer working out the panels on the edge, so there was actually like a chain link computer drawing, which basically was the bar. Really? On Back the... in 1974 when I started on that. But that's all there was in the computer. <laughs> and everything else had to be drawn to match it by hand. So you had to draw it and then input the drawing and... Yeah, so you have that then, as a drawing and you overlay that drawing and you work into it. Um, and how would the computer interact with that? How that did, it, didn't, it didn't feature again. You'd be given the outline as a drawing. That was it. <laughs> so he was telling you what to do rather than you just drawing it. <laughs> all it drew was the outline of the shape. And he gave, made it in two metre panels. And what the contractor wanted to do originally was to start at two metres and go all the way around at two metres and then when he got to the end he would just do a cut piece to fit in. Yeah. He didn't want that. No. <laughs> so you wanted it to be... It had to be two metres all, all the way around. The so it was like, oh it was like a God. daisy chain of a computer drawing and then we worked within that, putting the grid on by hand and everything. I think computers have allowed us to do more exotic shapings and uh, yeah. you think of some of Vanoli's buildings. They wouldn't have been possible without computers. It's easy on plan to yeah. do This is quite easy because it's facet. It's interesting to hear about the software that was coming into the architecture industry in the UK was coming from North Sea Oil because I was involved in a series of exhibitions called The Archaeology of the Digital at CCA. There was a great interview with Frank Gehry when he was talking about the Ellis House. There's that house he spent like 15 years doing and in the end he didn't build, he just had this rich guy just letting him come up with more and more ridiculous ideas. <laughs> but Greg Lynn suggested was one of the moments when Gehry moves from an analogue to a digital drawing experience and Greg Lynn did an interview with the guy that was working for Lockheed Martin in Los Angeles and drawing military aircraft for them. 1991 happens, Berlin Wall comes down, they all get made redundant. <laughs> a week later he gets a phone call from someone who works at Gary's office who knows he does this software. He said, can you draw fish? <laughs> <laughs> And the guy was like, oh, that's a bit like a plane. <laughs> and so he uses his aircraft software to draw the, the Barcelona goldfish for Gary. I'm always intrigued by that moment of how one thing goes into the other. I, I'm a big fan of the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. It's one of the most amazing buildings in the world. It's got a bit of a North Sea oil rig vibe there. I think, I think it was assembled. It wasn't literally built on site. It was actually brought the components were made off site and brought in. It was one of the first projects that did that. And a lot of projects since that have tried to do the same because at the time we felt the Hong Kong market wasn't able to do, it could do lots of concrete, vertical concrete towers but the quality isn't necessarily what the Hong Kong Bank would actually want. 
So our idea was to prefabricate it all over the world and bring it together and assemble it on site. So the Meccano, I would say it's more like a Meccano set, where it comes together, everything has to fit, has to be bolted together and you know, it has to be waterproof. So that side of it where bits of it are being made all over the world are then assembled on site. So you avoid that pouring wet concrete in the pouring rain and you're actually trying to do that in a factory where it's controlled conditions and then bring things to site which are semi-finished in big lumps, big components. We still do that today. Yeah. How do you think the drawing is impacting that? How And conversely, how is that process impacting the drawing? That means you have to draw everything and you've got to make sure the interfaces work because the biggest problem between with that is if the components arrives from Cleveland Bridge in north of England and something else comes from Tokyo in, in Japan and it comes together on site and they don't fit, then you've got a massive issue. And I think that's the drawing of the interface is so important that both elements actually have to be drawn with the other ones. You're actually almost drawing those de- their details twice. Drawing once for the guy doing one bit and once for the guy doing the other bit. And that's the same today. We do all that. And most projects we do try and prefabricate, so stuff's done off-site and brought to site and then assembled. So the drawing is really important at that point. You, you talked about the that you had to break things down when you were managing 120 different people. A large project would be broken into packages, so it would be, say, the basement or right. the roof or the steelwork or something like that. It depends on the project. And then you'd have a team leader for that element, so you'd have a team that goes with that team. And so they're actually developing their bit of it. And then the challenge is then bringing the, the various interface between those teams together. So the guy doing the terrace waterproofing needs to speak to the guy doing the external wall because otherwise there's going to be a be a leak just exactly where they, where they come together. So I think on any project that's that breaking down its bits, but actually allowing ensuring people actually come together and actually make sure it all fits together. I imagine that having a single digital model makes that process much easier. Yes, obviously today we would. It's less about packages, it's more about zones of the building and bringing it all together and then making sure that the top fits on the bottom and sides fit and all that. So it's actually more about larger areas of the building coming together. So it's the same process though, you've still got to draw it. You'll just be drawing in a computer. And the computer's not drawing it for you, you are still inputting it and you're using the computer as a tool, as you know, as that is a pencil. You use it as a tool, coloured pencils are a tool. The computer's just a tool. It's only doing what you ask it to do. It's not inventing something. Perhaps, I don't know if this is the right juncture, but I'm interested in how you react when the computer comes into into practice. When did that... Uh, When it happened, so we finished Hong Kong Bank in 1985. We came back to London and there was a computer. And you Um, thought, where the hell were you? It was like like the organ in a church. It was massive. It had two screens. It had a big sort of dashboard. And it was the size of this table. Um, this table is about three metres by three metres. <laughs> it was a bit shallower than that, but it was about that width. And there was one at the end of the office, and then there became two at the end of the office, then there were a few. And it, So basically you would draw like this and go to the computer guy and say, can you, put, can you put this into the computer? And they would, the CAD guys would put it into the computer. So the process was we were drawing by hand and on the drawing board, and then it would go to the computer guy and put it in. Well, what, what would be the point of that? Because then you're coordinating it in the computer, so you're giving a set of drawings out which are more accurate, and you've got one drawing with everybody's input into it in the computer. So the drawings are coming in, the CAD guys adding it to one big model. Yeah, yeah. Right. Often in two dimensions, to be honest. So you're doing two-dimensional drawings, not just three-dimensional drawings, you're doing two-dimensional drawings as well in the computer. And that became, over time, to the point where everybody had a computer, and everybody was learning to draw, and everybody was drawing 
not so much my generation, but the generation below me, they were learning to draw in the computer as well. So there's a, there was a transition in my career from a drawing board with T-square and set-square to a computer. And that happened in a way that the sort of steam locomotives went from steam coal-driven to diesel-electric in somebody's lifetime. That sort of level of change. Now the change for the next generation will be going from computers to AI, and that's going to be interesting for them too. Before we get to the giddy world of AI, what's the first package that you are drawing with yourself? The actual package would yeah. be, I suppose, MicroStation was the first big one that we all used. It was actually designed for the rail industry, so it was a sort of infrastructure package. And that was one that architects used quite a lot. Bentley MicroStation, and that, how long was that around? Oh, I think 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So we switched to Revit. A lot of architects have switched to Revit probably about 10 years ago. Right. But MicroStation? It's still around. We actually probably have a few licenses here for it. But Revit's become much more architect-friendly. I think Bentley went off into the sort of infrastructure world, roads and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, whereas Revit's become much more to do with buildings. And Revit has become the main package. Most architects are now using Revit. But as I say, that's probably about 10 years ago we switched and it was a sort of outcry because people were sort of to learn a new package going from MicroStation to Revit. Yeah. People nowadays, they use, there's loads of programs, but the main one is still Revit. So have you seen a Revit building? A building where you think that was drawn in Revit? No, not really. No. It's so open that you can do with it what you want. Yeah, absolutely. This is Charlotte Street, 80 Charlotte Street, where yeah. it goes from sketches through to much more detailed drawings and sketches. And the sketches are done in, on the computer? No, these are done by hand. Yeah. Then there'll be a hand drawing through to renders yeah. and then, then working drawings that then go through to much more detailed drawings. How do you draw still? Has the, the reasons why you draw changed? No, so. it's still exploration. I mean, this is just this book from just before Christmas. You get different projects, different aspects of buildings, ways of doing, ways of geometry, a few doodles, but... I still draw because we're still designing buildings, going down to details and working on the moment for a project. The, the, the book that you've got here, how does it go from those drawings to the, the, the technical detailed drawings? How do you use those drawings that you've sketched? Are they just for yourself or do you show them to people and say, can we give it a bit more of that? We, we tend to go from a hand drawing like that and then put it into the computer themselves. The great thing about being an architect, you can see things in three dimensions. When did you become involved in the drawing prize? I think it's seven years. I think the idea was that drawing is changing, drawing by hand is disappearing, and a lot of the architects coming out of university can't actually physically draw at all. But they can draw beautifully on the computer. They treat it in a way I treat a pencil. A guy on the computer can actually produce amazing drawings in a way that's just as good or better than what I can do. So I was quite keen to not be an old fuddy-duddy and say it needs to be drawn by hand, but to actually celebrate the hand drawing still in, in today's modern world, but also to recognise the fact that digital drawings are really important and actually are just as beautiful and just as, just as helpful to architects. So the drawing prize started with the idea of celebrating hand drawing and digital drawing at the same time. And the prize has been, it's been really successful, been all over the world. The John Stone Museum is the home of architectural drawing. Gandhi, who was a fantastic draftsman back in Soane's day, did these amazing drawings, which they've got. So if you haven't been there, go to the Soane Museum, it's fantastic. It's, it's pretty special. But the drawing prize is interesting because your involvement over seven years, what's changed in that time? What's really interesting about the drawing prize is, is the, the type of drawings that we've actually had. We've actually had less of what I would call like some of the architecture drawings I've just shown you. They're more 
arty drawings. So you get this sort of drawing by Mr. Passing, which is fantastic drawing. Who's this by? This is by a guy called Passing. And it's just a beautiful oh. spatial drawing. Was this one of the entrances to yeah, the... Yeah, it's one of the ones that won a couple of years ago. But the layering of it, the depth of it, the perspective, everything. So I think the drawing prize has actually gone in quite a different directions. The other ones are quite fantastical as well. One's very yeah. computer embracing its CGI nature. From what you're saying is that the field of what is considered an architectural drawing has expanded. I think also they have a narrative with a point of view about the world. It's become a prize that's celebrating art as well as architecture, I think. And they are, they are work of art. You would have them on the wall. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. a stunning picture. Does that reflect the background of the, the people that are submitting or that they have a non-architectural education? They tend to be a combination of architects, architect students and professional artists. So Ben Johnson, who's a fantastic artist, he loves architecture, so he's drawing buildings all the time. He's entered a few times. And to get that level of entry is fantastic. So it's become the best drawing prize in the world. Perhaps people aren't aware of who can enter. Is it any... Yeah, anybody can enter. And obviously there are criteria, but it's an architectural drawing. It's a drawing, you know, there's three categories, the hand drawing and the digital category, and then between is a hybrid, and the hybrid is where people will use a bit of computer and then a bit of handwork and go back into the computer, come out and do some more colouring. And I think where we're going next is how we handle AI, which is basically things like mid-journey and stable diffusion, where they are packages which you just talk into and you get a drawing. And that's a totally different skill. Um, so you're thinking of creating an AI category? It's something, actually, we asked ChatGTP. I bet they were in up for it. They said it was a dilemma, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> we are looking at how we use it as a tool. You know, we can produce incredible renders once you get to understand how you can do it. Every time someone uses it in a way I find engaging is when they are going, what if you do X in the style of Y? What if you make a building that is X plus Y? mashing things together and when it's interesting then you could imagine someone then going on to draw it i think exploring the hybrid is to me that's the richest territory because it's goofy it's amazing but it is very thick it works within a received set of images and you can't really escape the finite nature of that and it's only really interesting when you mush things together and go well, what happens when you do that like that we, we want to use it in a way that allows us to create that information for clients to go yeah that's great no no don't like that yes that's great what we don't want to do is have something that's trawled the internet and come up with a Zaha did building, because that's not what we do. The way you put the information in is what is so important. Yeah, it's a tool to be played with. You've got to constantly probe it, interrogate it, change it. What happens if you try X? What happens if you try Y? What happens if you try Z? How does that move things forward? This is quite interesting. This is some of Jason's work. Jason Parker, one of my colleagues. We worked on 40 Leadenhall. These are my sketches here. But we looked at the sort of essence of part of this, which is to do with the bell making, which was actually on the site originally. So this is a lot of research that went on into the foundry that was on the site. And this was the historical building that was it's still actually there that we've actually retained. Where's retained. This? this? is in the city of London. It's just off Leadenhall. Yeah. It's Sorry. called Bellitzer Building. And then we had this idea of the entrance. And these are Jason's drawings in on the iPad. And looking at the idea of bells being, being expressed, creating these bell-like shapes using flutes of, of cast metal. To create and this images. is still on the iPad? This is on the iPad, yeah. yeah. And then we made mock-ups and models and lots of drawings showing and we started to do full-size prototypes as well. 
And there's such good. a range of different types of drawing involved in that process. Yeah. And these are the actual ones being made in the factories. These are the tests, mock-ups, prototypes. And then that's it in the real building. That looks like a drawing to you. That's a drawing, yeah. Oh, but it's got the same quality as the original yeah. iPad drawings. Yeah. It's still being built. There's always a drawing that you look back at and go, that's, there's the project. Do, do you have a first drawing that you remember? I drew from a very early age. I can remember one drawing, which is probably my first few days at school, so I was five. It's a drawing of a clown. And they, they pinned it on the wall, and they wouldn't let me take it home, and I was really devastated. I couldn't show my mum. She came into school on well, day two of me being at school to see this drawing of a clown on the wall. <laughs> uh, but I was always drawing, and I became better at it, obviously, as time went on. It was that sort of graphicacy, I think it's called. Numeracy, literacy, and graphicacy is another one of those things education-wise which I was very good at. So I was always very good at jigsaws, very good at reading maps. I knew where I was orientation-wise, I still do. And I think it's that visual learning in a way is what drawing is all about. So for me, and my kids have been the same there, but they learn by looking at things. They don't learn by reading things. They learn by images, sketching things through, drawing things through, making jigsaws, anything to do with the visual mm -hmm. side of life. Very interesting. There's a very strong idea of an innate way of looking at the world, a way of understanding the world, a way of learning about the world. How are you encouraged? You talk about your children, you draw, they draw. Was that your condition when you were growing up? Were you in a family in which drawing was an activity? Yeah, my dad was a good draftsman, good artist. My uncle. His brother was also fantastic. So I learnt it from them, and Dad would always draw a picture for us to colour in while they're doing breakfast in the morning. And I think from that, Dad drawing got me into it. So yeah, the environment was my Dad drawing all the time, and being quite hands-on, practical sort of character. A DIY expert, he would make something out of nothing. He would create a garage out of old bits of wood. He would do all sorts of things. Did he draw it first? Not with those, no, he used to just knock them up. <laughs> but that practical side of life, we've still got that today, whereas you find a lot of people don't have a practical side. I was yeah. very much, I mean, Dad was got a hammer, picked up a hammer, I would go and pick up a hammer too. And I think that's something I've always enjoyed as a kid. Uh -huh. Making stuff, we made sledges and go-karts, that sort of thing. And we drawing and in a way making things that effectively what we do here. Yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting that they operated in parallel, drawing and making this process. I, yeah, I think so, because I think it's your... You're seeing, I sketch and draw to think, so my drawing is the way I think and put ideas down. How did your school encourage you to draw? Did it encourage you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I went through primary school, being good, a good drawer. I went into a secondary school and was always top of art, went right to GCSE and then A-level art and special level art. So the school was fantastic. And, it, and, it, and I think drawing became the thing that gave me the confidence. Because as a kid, I was quite nervous. I was small. I used to stutter quite badly. And the, the conf, that's all about confidence. And as you get more confidence and you find, oh, you can draw. Oh, you've got a, a, a grade A in O-level in art. And suddenly you realise there's something you can do and you feel more confident because you, you know you can do it. And then to turn that drawing into something that you can make money out of was the, the next step, really. Yeah. Um, when you were being taught, do you remember specific drawing techniques you were taught which you took to immediately? Were there certain methods of drawing or was it as a kind of good Catholic broad system of, of, of teaching drawing? Yeah, I think some of my really early drawings, things like, things like this. <clears throat> I haven't told the listener that Ken is here showing me different types of drawing on his laptop here. So we've got a kind of life in drawings, which is really amazing. <laughs> wow, what's that? So that's quite early on. This is a ship, like the Golden Hind. 
How old are you? How old are you when you did that? Yeah. Quite young. I always think I was probably about six or seven. That's six or seven. Yeah. You've got a mark for it. Got seven minus for that. Is that good? No. Really. <laughs> that's fine. That's harsh. That's an amazing game. Oh, that's good though. Now you. This now is a motorbike. That's yeah. a motorbike. What, me, what mediums? That's you? just pencil on, on paper. Um, so that's coming up through my teens, yeah. being interested in speed and motor cars. We've talked about of how you were learning to draw. What were you drawing? Were you just drawing everything, or is or is the the, the motorbike a kind of typical teen project? I was designing little houses as well when I was oh, Wow! Yeah, so I was doing that sort of thing. When's that? So this is probably going up to GCSE level. That drawing of that house is GCSE level. Probably. Yeah. That looks like a sketch an architect might do now. I went to Hansworth Grammar School in Birmingham. I went right through to A level, GCS A levels in art, geography, and history. Right. Uh, my careers master, Mr. Keith Doney, said I'd never be an architect. He said I wasn't clever enough, intelligent enough, and I should just forget about it. And I should go and work for Auden Survey. Doing Where drawings. is he now, huh? <laughs> Maybe I'll meet him one day. <laughs> but he just thought I'd never do it. And I think, in a way, he encouraged me to prove him wrong. So I did go on and work very hard at school to actually make sure I could get into school of architecture. Because I wanted to be an architect from quite an early age. Probably seven, eight. And again, they encouraged me not to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, you know, drawing has just been, you know, with me throughout my life. And I think, you know, without it, it would have been... Not sure what I've done really. And then you went to to City of Leicester Polytechnic School of Architecture in Leicester, now called De Montfort University. And I went through that course all the way through seven years in Leicester. One of the things I think is fundamental for me to try and understand the way architects use drawing is to understand the multiplicity of different types of drawing that they do. I imagine, not having done an architecture degree, but that's a process you begin to learn at university of types of drawing. How did you find that process? Did you enjoy learning the different techniques or did you find it constrictive? No, I mean, I absolutely love some more drawings here, actually. Oh, what's that? I, so this one, this is one of my very early university drawings. Just, that, that's a university just, drawing? Actually, just before, when Jesus I was doing A-level. This was a... Sorry, uh, just to explain what I am. I'm, I'm, that's a kind of amazing kind of Barbican-esque roof terrace. It's actually a city. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> of houses and things, but actually it's obviously very landscaped. It was a competition actually which I entered before I went to university. So this is basically A-level stuff. But that's an incredibly sophisticated level of perspective yes. that you've learned there, even before you've gone to university. Yeah. Where so did you learn that? One point perspectives, which is what this one, and this yeah. one is an axonometric. I learned that at A-level art. You were taught mm. axonometric drawing mm. and single perspective. Wow. Do you think that was common for the time? I suppose you just forget what it was like. I think people could do that. Yeah. But then this is a drawing, which is a series of door schedules, <laughs> door details. <laughs> Welcome so, to the reality of architecture. So, yeah, I went to work for Harry Bloom and Son in the summer holidays. And who were Harry Bloom and Son? Are they an architecture practice? Yes, Harry Bloom was an architect based in Birmingham. And I was paid £5 a week to work here, which was fantastic. Let's <laughs> you got to start somewhere. And it was, yeah. you know, it was just great. Um, and in terms of your output, was this typical? You were drawing. I don't give you an office building to design from day one. You've got to learn how buildings go together. And I think what was interesting is great grounding in people like Harry Bloomer is that actually it was all about how you put a building together. How does it actually physically work? How do you keep the water out? Why doesn't it fall over? Etc. Etc. So I think all of that was really good grounding. Um, so, how big is that drawing? A1. 
what are you drawing on? This is on tracing paper and with, with a set square and a T-square. And um, a pen, and there's six details on one page. Yeah. So the idea was to try and not use so much paper, to so try and get as many drawing details on it as possible. And what would happen to that drawing once you'd finished so with that it? That would go to the contractor, and the contractor would build it just like that. <laughs> so if it was wrong, <laughs> it was my fault. But often you'd find yourself on the side with these drawings and the guy would say, why don't you just move that to there? So an old guy who's done joinery for the whole of his life, and you're a teenager architect, he'd be sceptical and he would always try and move things on a bit, which was great. I learned so much from being on site. One of the things I've learned to think about with a drawing is who a drawing is for. So an architect, you're basically drawing, first of all, for yourself to understand what you're trying to persuade somebody to do. Then you're doing, doing drawings to persuade somebody what you want to do is, is going to look fantastic, work amazingly. And then you're going to go through the whole process of actually building a set of drawings which actually can be built from. So the contractor's getting these drawings and he hasn't really understood what he's actually building until he's finished. Whereas we've got, have to have the whole thing in our head before we start and then do detailed drawings so he can put it together. So this sort of drawing is, is for a contractor or joiner to put together some doors. Dense with information. Works, what size timber. Yeah. Um, all that was, was detailed on the side. The door handle is important. Where the hinges go is important. Anything that you don't draw, they will guess it and then get it wrong. So you <laughs> have, the more you draw, the more chance you have of getting it right. The more you draw, the more chance you have of getting it right. So if you want these ducks in a particular place... You've got like, to draw it. You've got to draw it. If you want that in the middle of the room like it is, and you want it to connect from this side, which it is, and then you need to draw it. If you don't draw it, they'll just come across on the diagonal and, uh, <laughs> and bodge you, it. And there's nothing you can say about it because you didn't draw it. Yeah. If you don't draw it, they say, why do you tell me? I'd have done it. It would been, easy, been easier to do what you wanted to do. Wow, that's really nice. Where's this? So this is a project in Leicester, a uh, college project, which was a healthcare centre. And this is basically one point perspective looking back with uh, the existing parts of less echoed into into the project yeah that's a very interesting style of drawing when forgive me for asking what because it looks like 73 it's ink on tracing paper and it's yeah. colored in with felt tip pens yeah it looks very like cedric price's yeah style of drawing yeah with the space decks and yeah absolutely lovely showing each kind of striated level and these beautiful geometric shapes embedded into the structure yeah, the geometry is important. That's the long section <gasps> oh, through. Oh, that's really nice. So that's the elevation, the cross section through the, the streets, the cross sections of the room. So it was on a sloping site, as you can see. Yeah, it's like a, a stepped crystal palace. <laughs> it's a bit more modest than that. But it's a single story building. It steps down the site. The space deck continues yeah. down the site. The cladding is alternative purple and pink. So it's a fun project. And what, the, what has the colour been added with? What? Felt-tip pen. Felt-tip pen. Mm -hmm. This was, this was a scheme for a leisure centre. So when centre parks was being built, there was lots of sort of ideas of having. So just to explain, we've gone from this very intense, very layered, perfect piece of Cartesian geometry. And now this looks a bit more like a cartoon, doesn't it? Yeah, so this is a leisure centre in uh, outside Leicester, Abbey Park. Uh -huh. uh, and it was supposed to be a fun palace. There was, there was centre parks being built at the time. There was the idea that people go on holiday to these sort of glass boxes and have a great time. And this was one where, you know, had, it's a bit Disney-esque. It's got mountains and um, chairlifts and lagoons and sailing and all sorts of things going but on. But it's interesting that you've picked out the uh, suitable style 
yes. very different to match the project, haven't you? Yeah, so the style is trying to make the project fun. Have you spent a lot of time throughout your career thinking about which drawing to show to which person at which time? Yeah, we, we definitely think about that. We definitely work out what's the best type of drawing to explain something. And you are communicating through drawings. Now you're using more computer work as well, but the essence of it is all communicating through a, through the visual medium of drawing. It's like a cross-section of a man-made mountain. I've got this chaotic, fun palace feeling, which the manner of drawing has picked out perfectly. This is a village hall in Long Clawson outside Leicester. So this is the plan of the village hall. These are the different configurations you could do from different activities for the village hall. This is the site and this is the elevation. It's always like a source of wonder to me when you see an, ar an architect laying out not just one, not just two, not just three, but a whole suite of drawings in one layout that gives you the whole shimola. So there's yeah. eight, nine, ten drawings on one sheet of paper. I think that art is dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's gone. That, that ability to lay a drawing out, of just to, yeah. to just to do the whole shimola on one sheet. And then these are drawings which are more interesting to me at the moment because these are exploratory sections. This is a, is a plan of a staircase here, Whoa. and the section through it, and okay. there's full size tread here to get the dimensions right. So you're looking at a plan, a section, elevation in the same drawing at different scales. So it's more. For me, just working out, is this stair going to work? Does the geometry work out? Trying, obviously, a triangular stair, does it actually physically work? Can you get it? What's the size of the hole it goes into? Where the columns are supporting it? My God. Uh, and all the dimensions that go with that. But what's good about it, it then goes, then you just draw the plan and section elevations because you've got all the information here. You don't need to get anybody else involved. You just draw it straight off that, which I did. And it got oh, built. Did. And it got built. Wow. That's... I'm going to have to take your word for that, because <laughs> that looks I can see the logic at work, but for someone who's not an architect and someone who doesn't draw, the, the sheer overload of information in that makes it quite difficult to take on board because there's three or four different levels of perspective and it makes my eyes go wobbly just trying to work it all out and yet that's the very thing that has enabled you to do that drawing and the very reason you've wanted to do that drawing because you can compound those things into one space mm. which is which is remarkable yeah i think that that sort of concept sketch i think is the most one of the most interesting things i've always been interested in and I, and I still do these today so you end up what's the idea for the projects and this is my studio in wiltshire and some of my paintings as well so do some paintings yeah, I do abstract paintings. This is all in, in acrylics because... Wow, they're really bold, expressive, abstract, yeah. boogie-woogies, as I, I think. Some so. of them are, yeah. That's More what, just exploring. Wow, they're very thoughts. expressive. Lots of colour. And what's interesting, you try and disconnect your hand from your brain when you do painting. When you draw, you're obviously the opposite. So painting, you're just trying to just let the paint and let your emotions come out. Whereas when you're drawing, obviously you're thinking and you're trying to design. And the danger when you, as an architect when you're painting is you try and design the painting, which of course doesn't work. But some of these are quite interesting. I, I like that. Look, I've, seen, look, I've seen a lot of paintings by architects that I have not liked. <laughs> and I like those. <laughs> They're yeah. very different as well. This, yeah, is this is painting on the iPad. This is using the one David Hockney uses. <laughs> I think people still think through sketching. People doodling, they're thinking. They're not daydreaming, they're thinking. And trying to work something out, you know, you'll see a mathematician will write out a, a formula 
and he will he'll be thinking as he's writing it. It's the same thing with drawing. You just as you as you're designing, as you're thinking, as you're contemplating something, you're drawing all the time, as you can see. <laughs> by drawing all the way through. Wow, <laughs> uh, I love that. A life in drawing. I admire Ken for the way in which he supports drawing without any particular position. Like Neil Hophouse, who we spoke to last week, he's not against the computer. He's not championing drawing because it's somehow a dying craft. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Ken, like Neil, is celebrating drawing, appreciating drawings for their beauty, but also their rich levels of information, their instructions, inspirations, philosophical framing devices. Go and see the architectural drawing prize that Ken has supported over the last seven years at the Soane Museum. It's there until the 3rd of March, 2024. Remember, the Soane is closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. Don't make that mistake, and many, many do. So yes, architectural drawing. It's an incredibly interesting field, and it's one which I have been spoiled by having worked at the Canadian Centre for Architecture and having worked briefly with Neil. But it's something to which I return to again and again. Even though I'm not an expert, I love to read drawings, to grasp the ideas, to understand what is not being said in the open in which the drawing contains. So this was Super Urbanism, the podcast that dances about architecture to adapt Brian Eno's quote. Please like us. (laughs) Please subscribe to us. Tell all of your friends how lovely it is to spend some time thinking about the real values of this wonderful art rather than the surface level take you get elsewhere. We go deep. Talk to you soon. Ciao.